Father, we thank you for another Sunday morning to come together. We thank you for an opportunity to worship together, to give, to be with each other. God, may we never take that, a grant, take that for granted ever again after the last couple years. <clears throat> God, may this be something that we honestly and truly, genuinely look forward to. Father, I do want to pause and I want to pray for your peace. In Ukraine, I pray, God, I just pray that you would just, just bring peace. God, bring peace. I pray for those who are refugees now. I, I think about what would I do if I was driven out of my home and my neighborhood and into another place and all I had was what I could carry. God, it breaks my heart. Father, I pray. I pray for the church in that area. I pray that you're using followers of Jesus to impact people, to meet needs. God, I pray that you continue to use us as we continue to give to it. I'm thankful for our, uh, our, um, our friendship with World Vision and how they're on the ground and they're, they're serving and working and helping and along with all the other organizations that are there. Jesus, we pray your peace. Jesus, we pray your justice and your victory. Now, God, as we open your word, <clears throat> I pray that you would give us insight. Teach us, God, reveal things to us. God, keep us humble to receive, not to jump to conclusions about, oh, I already know this, but humble to receive what it is that you want to speak to us. God, we thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. As we jump into John chapter 10, we need to kind of go back to chapter 9. I'm going to summarize most of it, because we got to remember that when the Bible was written, there were no chapter numbers, there were no verse numbers. And so a lot of times what we think is like we'll start reading a passage and go, this is a completely different topic, not related to what's before because there's a number. And that's not how this rolls. Because when you start in chapter 10, verse 1, it's actually the context of what Jesus did in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus is standing with his disciples, and his disciples ask a question. They see a man who was begging who was born blind. And as the man is begging, one of the disciples looks at Jesus and says, hey, could you do us a favor? Hey, tell us who sinned. Did he sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? Could that be one of the most offensive questions that you ever heard of? Hey, he's blind, and so someone must have sinned. Someone must have messed up. Was it him or was it his parents? Now think about how dumb the question is. He was born blind. <clears throat> so how could he have, quote, unquote, sinned? Like, was it in the womb? He kicked too hard the bladder one night while she's trying to sleep, and all of a sudden God's like, No. Guys, we actually, there are actually people who still believe this. If you have junk happening in your life, it's because there's sin in your life. Just confess it and you'll be fine. And if you are right with God, then of course he's just going to give you everything that you've ever wanted. Yeah, that's not what the scriptures teach. What the, teach, what the scriptures actually teach is if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. You say, see, that's that verse. No, but the way that it's worded in the Hebrew is, Hebrews is this. If I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me new desires. That I'll begin to des desire the things that God desires, not everything that I've ever wanted. And so if I all of a sudden jump into, go, I want to follow Jesus so that I get this out of it. So that I get this perfect little life and the bank account looks solid every week. If that's it, it's not really Jesus we want, it's just his stuff. But to jump to a conclusion that this person was blind, either because his parents sinned or he sinned, was completely wrong. And so Jesus confronts, he says, nobody sinned. 
This didn't happen because somebody sinned. This happened so that the work of God might be revealed. And now that's the part that should make us go, what? So a person was born blind so that the work of God would be revealed. That's the answer that Jesus gave. That's exactly what he meant. Why was he born blind? So that the work of God would be displayed in this man's life. Friends, we need to remember that when we approach things and we don't understand it, that's not, not jump to conclusions that maybe we think that God messed up, but maybe that we just don't see it from the right perspective. So all of a sudden, without, without the man asking Jesus, Jesus goes and makes mud using his spit with the dirt in front of him. Can you imagine? He just hocks up a loogie, <laughs> makes some mud, then walks up to the guy's face and just puts it on his face. Didn't ask, hey, is it okay if I put something on your face? Does anybody here have a phobia about that? I have a phobia about stuff on my face. It might be because I've had freckles my whole life. I don't know if that's what it is, but like it just freaks me out. And so when somebody comes to my face and they look like they're gonna put something on, I always back up. And as they keep going, I'm like, at some point I'm gonna drop you, like knock it off. I know that's not a pastor thing to say, but that's what my heart says. Okay, so but I'm trying not, I don't do it. I've never followed through with it, but I hate it. So don't do it after service. I know some of you guys, this is a side note. Don't test me. I will drop you. I'm just joking. I won't do it, but I'm, just know I'm thinking it. And so Jesus just walks up, doesn't ask, and just smears this stuff on the dude's face. And then says, you need to go wash your face at the pool of Siloam. Go on. And I think if I was the man, I'd sit there and go, I wouldn't have had to if you didn't just put your junk on my face. But he doesn't even lead the man. Jesus walks away. He says, you need to go wash your face. And then Jesus walks away and lets the man go. So the man goes, washes his face, and once he does it, he sees. I know for us, guys, if you can see and you see pretty well, we take it for granted. Think about it. This is a man who has never seen anything. Anything. Think about it. He washes his face and his eyes open. What would you think and what would you feel? What emotions would just rush through your body? And wouldn't you stare at everything? I mean, wouldn't you just stare at the water going, that's water? What color is that? Because I have never seen colors. He sees, a, he sees a stick on the ground. That's a stick. And you would sit there and go, what's wrong with this guy? And what if we had the same kind of wonder over what it is that God's created? And isn't it amazing the more used to God we get, the more used to the things that God's done, but more used to, the more bored we get with what it is that he's doing? So I just imagine I'm just staring at everything. And all of a sudden the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they hear about it. So they bring him in and they question him. Hey, what happened? He says, ah, I don't know. I was blind. And then this dude made some mud <clears throat> with his spit and put it on my face. And he said, go wash. And so I walked and I washed. And now I can see. So it's the man, it's the man they call Jesus. That's the man. And then, they, and then the religious leaders get all ticked off. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they thought it meant you can do absolutely nothing. And so the fact that Jesus made mud, they say that's sin and therefore Jesus is not of God. Guys, do you see the importance of believing the right things? Because what we believe actually dictates what it is that we do. They could not celebrate the miraculous intervention of God that a man who was blind from birth could now see because in their mind they thought they were right but they were completely wrong. And they thought they recognized Jesus, but they had no clue who he was. To him, he was a troublemaker. 
And in reality, he was God. It is so important what we believe because everything that we believe dictates what it is that we do. And so they said, well, this guy's not from God. Because if he was, he wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have worked on the Sabbath. And this was their interpretation of what the Sabbath meant, not what the law says, not what Scripture actually taught. So he said, tell us again. He's like, okay, so I'm going to tell you again. This is what happened. Before I couldn't see, then all of a sudden he spit, made some mud, put on my eyes. I go wash. I can see. Wait, and then he, all of a sudden he starts to kind of preach. He's like, we know. Okay, he's got to at least be a prophet. You get to verse 28. Because at some point, the man said, why do you want to keep hearing about this? Like, do you want to become his disciple now? I'm like, this guy got sassy. This guy kind of threw some junk back at him. He's like, oh, do you guys want to become his disciple too? Because I'll be honest, if I had to keep answering the same question, I would get frustrated. Can I just go and celebrate? Can I go find my family and my friends who I have never seen? Could I go? In fact, if you remember the story, the parents were called. The parents show up. His parents show up. They say, is this your son? And can you tell us that he was born blind? He said, well, he's our son, and he was born blind, but we don't know how this happened. And the reason that they didn't say, we know that Jesus healed him, and this is amazing, because they were afraid that they'd be thrown out of the synagogue, which is the center part of life. They'd be thrown out of the cult. Out of the, um, they'd be thrown out of society. Can you imagine that's the first encounter after your son is healed? You don't get to celebrate with him because people are just stealing away. They're stealing away the miracle because they had this wrong belief about God. So the son keeps stepping in. Do you want to become one of his disciples? Verse 28 of chapter 9. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Oh, that's religious trash talk right there. Got him. We're, I'm not going to be the disciple. We're disciples of Moses. You know the guy that's dead that God spoke to? We like to follow him. But this guy, he says, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered. Now he's preaching. Why, this is amazing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a, is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, watch it, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Isn't it amazing that the blind guy recognized Jesus before those who could see now watch their response. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And followers of Jesus, may we never, ever, ever speak these words. May we never speak these words to another follower of Christ. May we never speak these words to a person who doesn't know Christ. May we never look down on people. May we never say, really, you were born in utter sin. Really, what the scriptures say is that we were all conceived into sin. So it's level. Would you really? Are you really going to teach us? Friends, I got to be honest. I feel like that's an arrogance that is... It's moving through the church, across our nation, a sense of arrogance rather than humility, a desire to what? To make sure that we're right, rather than to push people toward being reconciled to God and reconciled with each other. We've got to watch it, friends. We've got to watch this arrogance. Do I believe that the scriptures are true, every word of them? Do I believe there's only one way to God? Absolutely, we're going to look at that today. So I believe that we're right but it should never lead me to pride and it should never lead me to arrogance. 
and I should never even have this thought come into my soul. And if it does or if it has, then we need to repent and we need to repent and confess to God, God, I feel like I'm more like the Pharisee rather than the man who was healed. Verse 34 again, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us and watch their response? They cast him out, chucked him out of the society. Guys, he didn't even know that the day was going to change. He woke up blind, think he's going to beg, go back to bed blind, to wake up, to do it all over again. But this was the day that God was going to change everything. And for some of you sitting there going, I've been going through the same thing every day for years. And what if today's the last day? Like, I can't tell you it's going to change. But what if, what if today's the last day where God goes, tomorrow, everything's going to be different? That why would you have to go through what you've gone through? So that the work of God might be displayed in your life. I mean, isn't that what we said? God, I surrender my life to you. And so God, do whatever you want. Whatever you want to bring yourself glory. That's what we've prayed Here's the next part in verse 35 of John chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and watch this, and having found him. I love that. The religious leaders throw him out, but God decides to go on a hunt. Jesus went and found him, and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's kind of a weird way to start the conversation. And he answered, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe him? And I... Guys, I've never understood why this guy would be so quick to say, who is he that I could believe? And this the whole time I'm studying this week. But for years, I've preached John 9. I've preached it a ton. And I've never understood, why is he so quick? Why is he so quick to say, who is he that I can believe? And the only thing I thought was this. What if, all of a sudden, what if Jesus showed up? And this man recognized the one who said, go wash your face in the pool of Siloam. And when Jesus spoke... He recognized, he goes, wait, that's you? And the first question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? I'll do it. I'll do it. Is it connected to maybe he recognized the voice of the one who healed him? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, now watch these words. Jesus is so specific with it. You have what? Seen him. He could have just said, I'm he. He goes, but you have seen him. You know, you who were blind, you have seen him. The miraculous has happened in your life. You have now seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See, the man started with his understanding of Jesus as a man. He moved to a prophet. And then he moved to Lord. It was a process. And for some of you, maybe you're just thinking, or maybe some of you guys might not even believe that Jesus was actually real. I just want you to look, I mean, even, even most historians, the majority, high majority of historians actually believe that Jesus, actually a person named Jesus from Nazareth walked the planet. And so that's kind of been debunked. But maybe for you, he's just a man. But Jesus is patient with you, the process, and he wants to meet, if, and if at some point you go, okay, he's got to be more than a man. But the goal is to get you to the point where you see him as Lord. Now watch Jesus, he continues the conversation, verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, man, I wish you were blind. You think you see, but you have no clue what you're talking about. 
That's the context. We jump into chapter 10, verse 1. This is still continuing. He's continuing what it is that he's saying. This is not a new moment, verse, uh, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, who does, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus makes this real statement. I've got it. Man, I wish you were blind. Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm going to start talking about a gate. I'm like, Jesus, where are, where are you going with this? Sometimes I feel like you've got to remind Jesus to stay on topic. And so they're not really understanding what it is that he's talking about. And so in verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, or I am the gate of the sheep. Isn't it amazing that the religious leaders whose one job was to recognize when the Messiah showed up missed him? And I have to ask the question, are we attentive enough throughout the day that we can recognize when God is doing something are we, are we striving to hear the voice of God? Okay, this is the stirring of the Holy Spirit in me. Holy Spirit, is this you wanting me to do this? Now confirm it. Show me in your words. Show me through conversations with other people. But confirm it. Am I really trying to be attentive to the things of God? Or am I just walking along and hoping that God will bless whatever it is I decide to do? The religious leaders whose one job was to recognize the Messiah when he showed up failed miserably and then asking if they were blind Jesus goes through this and explains that he's the gate and they didn't understand it but I think the reason that Jesus said what he said in this moment is because he's calling the Pharisees to the mat I heard uh, there was a professor that I had years ago where he said hey Jesus is not always nice but he's always good he's not always nice but he's always because we kind of picture Jesus just really super sweet super nice guy I don't know, maybe, I'm sure he can, he is. But have you ever read Revelation where he comes and shows up and he's judging and people are dying and I don't sit there and go, but that's so nice. He's not always nice. The things he says are not always nice, but you can always believe that the reason that he says everything is because he's good. Even with the Pharisees, he desires Pharisees to come to, to come to him, to surrender to him. Because wasn't it Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who came to Jesus in the middle of the night, late at night just to ask him questions. He didn't want to ask in front of everybody else. This is one of the lead religious leaders just because he had questions and Jesus spoke to him. Let's see, go back, verse 1. Since he's calmed to the mat, look, look at what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter... The word enter can also mean begin with. And so it's kind of like Jesus is saying, I say to you, he who does not begin with the sheep or begin the sheepfold by the door. So just take that sheepfold part out. He who does not begin with the door, and Jesus considers himself the door. So he says, unless you start with me, you start with Jesus. Followers of Christ, we start with Jesus. We start with who he says he is. Because who he says he is impacts everything, or it should impact everything that we do. Since I say to you, he who does not enter or begin, enter the sheepfold by the door, the gate, but climbs 
end by another way. That word climb means to go up and rise or sprout, but it also means it's like to develop into. It's like you start with Jesus and you continue to grow in Christ. For some of you, this is, this is only the shoe fits where it. Did you have that conversion experience where you raised your hand and that was it? There's nothing now? You don't do anything different? Like you began with Jesus. But can I ask you a question? Are you growing into Christ? Because it wasn't just about that. It's about us with Jesus. It's about him. Because think about it. If you don't grow in Christ, the only thing that you're waiting for is heaven. Things are great when you surrender to Christ, but when things get really raunchy, when they get gnarly, is it really Jesus that you're about? Or is it about his stuff about heaven? It's like, I want heaven to come now. And Jesus is saying, I actually want you to have joy now. In the midst of all this stuff that's going on. Guys, i got to be honest. I don't know if I've ever seen this much chaos in the world. And it might just be because we have more information. You can Google anything and everything. I get it. And everyone's got a smartphone. And we can videotape everything and get it out there. I get that. I just know that in my lifetime, I've never seen what it is like now. And yet there are so many that deal with so many more things than I do. Yeah, there are so many people who are going through all those things and it's still Jesus. And yes, we can look forward to heaven, but it's still Jesus now. That in the midst of their suffering, it's still Jesus because they began with Jesus. They're growing up in Jesus. He says, but climbs in by another way. The man is a thief and a robber. That word robber means the head of the rebellion. It's not just a robber, but he's in charge of the rebellion. He says, but he who enters the door is the sheep. I'm, I'm sorry, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So in that day, I know there's a lot of confusion here because it's like, well, I'm not a shepherd and I don't have sheep. I get it. So here's the thing. I'm going to try to explain it. There are two kinds of sheepfolds back in the day. The first one is the communal sheepfold. So in the winter months, the shepherds would take the sheep out. They would do their grazing and do their thing and then bring them back at night. There'd be a communal sheepfold where all the sheep would go in. It's like, well, how do you keep track of which one's yours? doesn't matter. You just put them in there. Close the gate. There's a guardian. He has the key. Nobody else has the key. Just that one person. In the morning, the guardian comes and opens the gate. Here's, here's what happens. The shepherd calls his sheep. And every sheep that belongs to that shepherd knows that shepherd's name and goes running toward him. Not one sheep will run after the one that they don't recognize. So if all of a sudden I show up, because I'm, now I'm a shepherd. And you can imagine. So I'm a shepherd. And I come running up and say I have six sheep because I can't handle more because I don't know what I'm doing. So I call the six. I will see six run to me because they're mine. And all the rest will just sit there and wait. Then the next shepherd comes up. He's got 38 because he's a stud. He calls 38. Boom, they come flying out. Then the shepherdess comes. She's got 712. Because it's right. And so she calls 712. All 712 will bypass my measly self and go run into her. Because the sheep recognize this voice of the shepherd. And friends, we need to remember that. And you'll see it in the passage. So the first kind of sheepfold is this communal one. The second one is during the summer months, there's, they would do it on the, on the, uh, like on the hillside. So they might kind of build these little, they might take rocks and build up a little wall. And so say I'm there and it's time to go at night and I bring the sheep in and it's just me. And there's an opening. There's no gate. There's no door. There's just an opening. So that my sheep go in. And since there's not a gate and I'm the shepherd, what do I do? 
I lay across the opening and I become the gate. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, I've got my sheep. And when they all come into the sheepfold, I lay down, I become the gate and no one comes in but through me. Anyone who tries to go on the, along the outside and what they would do is they would set thorns and briars, briars up around the wall so that if anyone tries to go over, they're gonna get all jacked up. And so they set that up and Jesus just says, hey, just like the shepherd during the summer months, here's this sheepfold and there's this opening. The shepherd lays down as the gate, I'm the gate. I lay down and no one comes in except through me. And friends, in a very subjective world, in a very relative world where you can believe anything you want and you're right. That's what the world wants us to think. For Jesus to say, I'm the gate. I'm the gate. There's one. It's a very, quote unquote, arrogant, infuriating statement for our world to accept. Because how dare any of us actually call each other to the mat and say you're wrong. Verse three, he says, to him, to the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love the qualities that Jesus brings about the shepherd. First, that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. In Exodus 33, 12, listen, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are known by name? Or do you just feel like you're one of the eight and a half billion people on the planet? And Jesus is just trying to keep us all herded together like cats. I'm convinced not only does he know your name now, he knows the name that he's given you and who and how he will get you to become the person he wants you to be. Friends, he knows you. Isaiah 43, 1, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. See, it starts with Jesus calling, not our finding. Jesus initiates, we respond to what it is that he says and how it is that he calls. And so the first characteristic he brings out is that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. The second is that the shepherd leads his sheep out. The shepherd is with his sheep. Guys, it's not just this, this whole following Jesus. It's not just this other religion. Like there are so many in the world, it's just like, oh, just follow this God who's distant, do enough good things and hopefully you'll make it. Jesus never invited us to an ideology, never invited us to a religion. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He told his disciples, he told a crowd of people, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It was not do this, follow that person. Hopefully they'll get you to understand, do enough good. Jesus says, no, 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 I lead out my sheep. I lead out my people. Verse four, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow. They follow him for they know his voice. So the shepherd calls his sheep by name. He leads his sheep out. But notice the third thing, the shepherd goes before the sheep. The shepherd goes before the sheep. Guys, you know why that's so encouraging to me? The writer of Hebrews nails it when they write, 
I don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with me in my weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way yet was without sin. And so what's my response? The fact that God's not looking at me saying, suck it up, you wuss. But he sympathizes with me in my weaknesses. You know why I love that? Because the next part is so, just approach the throne of grace to find strength to help you in your time of need. Like I have a God. We have a God who understands us. He knows how hard it is. Even this, I think David wrote Psalm 103 when he says, gosh, he knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. Why is that so important? Because right before they says, as a father shows compassion to his child, so does God show compassion to us. Because he knows what we're made of. He knows that we're weak. And so what did Jesus do? He went before us. He went before us. He took the cross so that we could follow behind him and enter into a relationship with God. He paid the price because we couldn't pay it. But then there's the stranger in verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the, know the voice of the strangers. I read this statement in, um, it's in a book called I Am Changes Who I Am. It's a book I've been using to prep for this series. And the author says this. He says, your ear determines who is your shepherd. And I just stopped. I highlighted. I was like, oh, man. And so can I ask you a question? Who is it that you listen to the most? Like, what is it that you read the most or spend most of your time doing? Like, what are you taking in? Friends, if it's Jesus that we're listening to the most, then we are being shepherded by the good shepherd. If it's our, if, if, if it's our favorite um, how do I put this? If it's your favorite person from Fox or CNN, and most of your time is spent listening to all the people who are just as clueless about what's going on completely in the world as we are, all sides, friends, we're all just kind of guessing. It's amazing how brilliant we think we are. But if that's who we're spending most of our time listening to, then you are being shepherded and discipled by them, neglecting the good shepherd who actually wants to speak into your life. And is it possible? Is it possible that that's why the fruit of the Spirit is not obvious in your life? Because you'd rather listen to fallible people rather than sit and get alone with the creator who's eternal and perfect. I try to say that without arrogance or pride or judgment. Please know I don't desire any of that. I just want to help move us all individually so that as a community, we are being shepherded by the good shepherd. The one who was before all things began, who will be after all this stuff is gone and will be with him the one who's invited us to walk with him and to abide in him. And my fear is that for some of you, you've settled because at least you can get sound bites that really take no effort. You can just hit it. You can YouTube it. You can hit, you can hit play. You sit back. It just 
it just flows on your face. And yet Jesus says, I prefer that you seek me. And seeking takes effort. So when I read that statement, your ear determines who is your shepherd, I thought, oh, crud. Because don't we live in a culture now where you are being shouted at completely? I'm not even talking about politics. I'm talking about social media all over the place. Advertisements all over the place. Guys, I'm not going to lie. I, like, I don't like watching live TV because you can't fast forward anything. I like to record it, watch it a little bit later, like just fast forward all those. I don't, don't flood my mind with your garbage. It's like my way to my revenge. But I don't want, it's like, it's constant. Think, I mean, try, to, try to count today just how many signs or billboards or things you'll read or notifications that pop up or news or all this stuff just pops up constantly. We're just taking it in. It's like we're being shouted at. It's like, it's, it's like there's so much. It's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It's just constant. Do we slow down enough? We actually want to hear the whisper. I wrote this. I said, hearing a shout takes no effort. Listening to a whisper causes me to focus and intentionally listen if I want to hear what's being said. I'm convinced our culture shouts at us constantly, but God prefers to whisper. Because then I have to lean in. I have to seek. I have to listen. Because doesn't he want my heart more than just passing on information? Guys, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it until we're done. On this planet, we need to constantly be people who are in the word and be people who are in prayer and start there. That's not where it ends. And then as we do that, when we start practicing, and this is the part where we feel like convicted, God, I want to go deeper. I've been praying this the last couple of weeks. God, I just feel like maybe I'm in a rut, like I'm doing the same thing. And I want to do that. Like, what's next? Like, I want to practice how to, okay, fasting. I just never really implemented that a lot. Or silence, or solitude, or service, or giving. It's like, God, I want to go more with you. Not just settle for enough. But let's start there. We spend time with Jesus in the word. Not making excuses as to why we think we're so busy. We spend time with him in the word. We spend time with him in prayer. Him, with him, not just about him. Not because that's what Christians are supposed to do. Guys, if you... Oh, if you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus, and you're not spending time in the Word, I'm convinced you're not hearing what God wants, but your salvation is not based on how much you read it. It's based on Jesus. So I'm not calling us to spend time with God because that's what every Christian is supposed to do. I'm saying let's spend time with God because that's what we get to do. We get to spend time with him. Believing that as we do that more and more that this Jesus, this gate or this door where it starts with him and we grow up in him, he will change everything. And until we see him actually, quote unquote, do all the things we think that he can do, we just stay obedient and we keep walking. So we want to hear what he has to say. We also want to do the things that Jesus did. A couple weeks ago when I took the young adults out for ranch dressing and pizza. Um, glad you caught that. Thank you. Um, 
So I was sitting, I was listening to them all. I was hey, what can we do? And what, what, what can we as a church do to support you as you reach people your age? And I was taking some notes. And as they're talking, I saw this young man. I was at Warehouse Pizza, so we're sitting outside. And he's walking Benita on, going west. And so as they're talking, I wish I could say it. I was completely like, focused, but I saw this young man behind us. So I'm looking at him and I'm going, I know that kid. Not in my mind he's a kid, but he's probably in his four, late 40s, or I'm sorry, not or late 40s, because I, never mind. Okay, that went horribly bad. He's like probably late 30s, that's what I meant to say. So I see him walking by, and I recognize him just like that. It's a guy named Nick. He was in my youth group back at Cornerstone, like when I first started ministry. He's just walking along. And so I see him, and I'm like, do I get up? No, I'm, I'm supposed to be paying attention. So all this stuff's going through my mind. I probably missed the best things they were saying. Like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? It's like I'm just having like a squirrel moment. I don't know how to focus. And so he just keeps walking. And I go, okay, well, I got something. Hey, young adults, this is what we're going to do. Next day, I meet with a, I meet with a family. I'm doing a, I did a funeral a couple Thursdays ago. I meet with a family on a, the next day in San Dimas. <clears throat> I'm done. In the evening, I'm driving. And I go east. And I hit San Dimas Canyon Road. And there's Nick. Right? Oh, come on, Yvonne. Like, there he is. And so in my head, I'm like, what a coincidence. So I, I, I drive past the street, and at that point, I went, God, what do I do? And it's that two times in two days, I flipped a Yui, came back around, parked along the curb, got out. Now, I know I'm a huge guy. He's not. He's still the same size. Like, I think he comes up to, like, right above my navel. He's a little guy. So I have my glasses on. I know I'm terrified. We got the truck. Can you imagine? Hey, let me talk to you. So I don't do that. I take my. I get off. I get off into the, in the sidewalk. Take my glasses off. And no joke. Right when I took my glasses off, his eyes lit up. He goes, Brian. And I was like, I still look the same. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I said, Nick. I said, I said, no joke. I saw you yesterday. And I'm, now I'm seeing you today on Bonita. It's like this street. I said, how's life? And he starts talking about his life. And, and he always had some struggles physically. And um, like, there was like his left side. And I, don't, I have no clue what happened. Like his, he's got like his ears deformed. And, but he's just this good kid. I just love this kid. And so I said, what are you doing? He goes, I just walk every day. I just like to walk. I said, well, that's your, you look healthy, man. That's fantastic. And I said, and so I said what, what's going on with your life? He goes, well, I went through it. I, got, I just recently got divorced, and I've been struggling with that. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. So then I thought, okay, I'm just going to go for it. I, said, I just said, how are you and Jesus? How are you and Jesus doing? He goes, Brian, I'm not going to lie. Like, I strayed, but I think I'm coming back. I said, think you think you're coming back? Like, are you coming? He goes, no, honestly, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Guys, that please know when I ask you questions, there's like no guilt I'm throwing on you. Okay, I had to, I had to, I had to share this with Amy yesterday because sometimes if, if you don't show up to a Sunday morning and I text you in the next four days, it's not because I'm going, why weren't you in worship on Sunday? Like, that's not what it is. Even if it's the next day. If I'm just saying, hey, I'm just checking on you. This is most, <laughs> most of you people, you respond this way. I'm so sorry I wasn't there. As if I have a bazooka to your face. I'm so sorry I wasn't there. And all I said was, I missed you. I'm so sorry I wasn't there. Well, well the message sucked. You didn't miss anything. You're fine. 
So I asked him, hey, how are you and Jesus doing? And he told me that. And I said, dude, I just got to remind you, man. There's no way you can get through all this stuff without him. You got to have Jesus. He goes, I know. I said, when I drove off, I just thought, God, really? Twice in two days. I haven't seen this guy for years. He used to come to flood when he headed down to the other campus like seven or eight years ago. So it's been seven or eight years since I've seen this guy, and I've seen him twice in two days. I'm going, God, the only reason I stopped because this, and I think this is what Jesus would have. I think this is what Jesus would do. So because I want to be your follower, I want to do what you do. And I don't even know if I did it right. Just try it, though. See, I'm convinced that Jesus is, or that God is always about to whisper. I don't have time to read through this, but in Second, in, sorry, in First Kings, chapter 18, Elijah. And if you've been brought up in the church at all, you might remember this story. Elijah has this. Uh, kind of like this competition, he against 850 false prophets, and they build these altars, he builds his altar, they build their altar, and it's kind of, it comes down to this, hey, let's pray, and whichever God answers by fire, that's the real God. And here's the thing, like, they should have won, because Baal had like lightning. He was known for being a God of lightning, and so he really kind of threw it into their court. And so they prayed for half the day, and they're splashing their bodies, and blood's pouring out, and nothing's changing. He gets up, prays a 13-minute prayer. Fire comes raining down from heaven, burns up the altar, burns up rock, licks up the water in the trench. I mean, God just was like, this is fire. And then all of a sudden, all 850 of those guys were killed, which means the Bible's definitely not boring. And so then the next chapter, 19 verse 1, the first thing, Jezebel, who loved all these 850 guys, she hears they're all killed. He goes, this guy's going to die. Elijah's going to die. Elijah saw God do what he did, but because one person was ticked and threatened him, he ran off freaking out. Isn't it amazing we can have a great victory? But how quick the defeat can come. And he's just having a pity party. He thinks he's all alone. And in chapter 19, verse 9, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. There's no one here. It's just mine. I'm the only prophet. I've gone through this, this, that, that. He goes through the whole thing. Verse 11, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind toward through the mountains and broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now watch, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Isn't it amazing how much we want to see the earthquake? We want to see the fire. We want to see the wind that blows apart rocks unless we live in the mountain. Isn't it amazing we want to see the effects of God, but we won't lean in to hear the whisper of God? Friends, there's something wrong. So may we become people who always prefer the whisper of God over the noise of everything else. Verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Be saved. That phrase, go in and out, it's this Hebrew phrase that describes a life that's absolutely safe and secure. 
And so we can look at that passage, wait, 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 so he'd go in and out so you're safe and secure. But to be honest, followers of Jesus, in the last year, how many of you have, how many of you have hit a really hard time? Anybody? Hit a hard time. So is this a lie? Is Jesus not speaking truth here? Or is maybe our perspective incorrect? Guys, listen to this. There's this uh, early church father, one of the apostolic fathers of the church. His name was Polycarp. And in AD 156, while being martyred, while he's being martyred, while he's dying for his faith, he says, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son of Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, I give thee thanks that thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour that I should have a part in the number of thy martyrs. Would you say that he's experiencing safety? Not in our standards. But in that moment, Polycarp's in there going, I am so thankful, God, that you're allowing me the blessing of being martyred today for you. So is Polycarp safe? Absolutely. Because it's all about perspective. For Polycarp to die, that was the safest thing that could happen for him. I read an article, The Voice of Martyrs. Maybe you guys have seen, seen that magazine. If you haven't, look it up online. It's a free magazine they'll send you just to read it. Then pray about, God, how do you want us to support us? Or how do you want me to support them? It's about, about a, a guy named Brahim. It says, as word spread that hundreds of people in multiple villages in the Sahara were leaving Islam for, for, Christ, uh, for Christ, local Islamic leaders grew angry. Once a group of men came to Brahim's house threatening to kill him and his family if he didn't stop his ministry work. But of course, it didn't faze him. He knows where he's going when he dies. Now watch what it is that he says. Write this down. I know if you touch me, you're declaring war with heaven. Boom. In that moment, Brahim is like, you want some? Because if you touch me, you are looking at heaven and declaring war. Who's safe? Followers of Jesus, we get our perspective correct and focused on the gate. The door that leads us into God. No matter what we face, we can be the same. If you touch me, you are declaring war with heaven. Man, that's a drop the mic moment, isn't it? Followers of Jesus, we should walk the same way. As the worship team comes back up. Jesus says, I am the door. Jump into the end there, Gary. John 10, I'm sorry, John 10, 9. I shouldn't say first John. John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. If Jesus says, I'm the gate, I'm the door, he's the way into the sheepfold. No one can come into the presence of God. No one can be part of the family of God other than coming through Jesus. There is no other way to God but through Christ. Brian, are you saying that every other religion on the planet is wrong? Yes. That's arrogant. No, it's not. Because I'm not saying, how dare you? Guys, think about it. I can sit there and go, well, two plus two is four. How dare you have one answer? It's, just, it's four. It's a fact. 
for most, but it's a fact. I'm just thankful that Jesus made a way. There is no other way to be forgiven. There is no other way to have right relationship with God, to stand holy before God outside of coming through Jesus. He is the only way in. He's the gate. He's the door. You can't climb in another way. It is only through Jesus. And with Jesus comes forgiveness. With Jesus comes restoration. With Jesus comes righteousness. With Jesus comes holiness before God. With Jesus comes grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. With Jesus comes life. He says, I'm the one who gives life. You can't have life outside of me, friends. I will never apologize for the words of this book. I will never apologize for the statements that Jesus makes because he's the only one who has life. It's when we bolt away from the statements that Jesus makes in order that others will never be offended. Jesus knows he will offend the masses as he's calling the masses to surrender. And it's okay as long as we never have the attitude of you were born in utter darkness. Are you actually going to try to teach me? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, you came to Jesus because you came through him and you stand before God holy and righteous because of his grace. And for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are not right before God. And I beg you and implore you, come to Jesus. Surrender to him as your Lord. Confess him as Lord. Believe he died on the cross, came back from the dead. Call out to him to save you and he will. And you start that relationship with him. You can do that now. You can do that right where you're seated. But I'd love to talk to you if you did. Or tell the person next to you. But we'd love to help you as you start this relationship with Jesus. Can we, can we pray? I went a little bit long today, but I, I couldn't shut up. So let's pray. Actually, can we stand? We'll pray. We'll go right into the last song. Jesus, I want to thank you that it all begins with you. That you're the gate. You're the gate. That no one comes in other than through you. And with you as the gate, you protect us. You protect us. You keep us in. God, it starts with you. It's always about you. And it ends with you. God, may we live with that certainty and that conviction. And may we know the same thing that our brother Brahim says. If you touch me, you're waging war with heaven. God, thank you that you're with us. Be pleased as we give you this last song of praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.